and she saw the cocoa puffs. She said, I want that. And then she saw the fruit loops and said, I want that. And then she said, I want that. I want that. Is it not on? Now it's on. Yes, no? Anyway, so I met them again in the soda pop aisle, and it was, I want this, I want this, I want this. We all want something. What do you want? Is it that fancy red midlife crisis convertible? Is it a new house, a bigger house, a promotion in your job, getting into college? Is it a cure for someone you love who's sick? Is it something more intrinsic? What we want tells us a lot about who we are. A couple of years ago, I read a story about a Wall Street lawyer, and I couldn't help feeling just intense sadness at his story. He was worth about $100 million, which, you know, I think is a lot of money. But he wanted more. And so he began selling information about upcoming corporate deals to a friend of his who was an investment banker so that the friend would be able to buy or sell stocks based on the information before it was public and then reap rewards when the stock went up or down. And, you know, I wondered why was it that this man, who was worth so much money, risked his entire life to make more? And I read his story. His friends were billionaires. They were giving away $100 million to the Metropolitan Museum of Art so that they'd have a seat on the board. They might be giving away... $50 million for a new operating room at Columbia Presbyterian and get a seat on the board. They might endow a chair at Stanford. He wanted to be like his friends. Envy was his shepherd. This didn't begin just a few years ago. Chaucer, 700 years ago, tells a tale. It's the partner's tale. In it, three young men in a village are sitting at the bar. The church bell tolls, signaling that death has taken someone. So they ask the bartender to send someone to see who it was. And the bartender says, I don't have to send anyone. It was your friend Charlie. 
He died just after he left the bar a few minutes ago. So the three are talking and they said, we want to meet this death and destroy it because it's taking too many of our friends. And as they say that, death walks by. And death says, I will meet you tomorrow at noon underneath the oak tree at the crossroads in the great forest. So the next day they get up and they go and they're preparing to kill death, but instead they find a gigantic bag of gold coins. They're sort of excited at their luck. And they think to themselves, huh, if we take the bag of gold coins back into our village, people will think we've stolen it. So we need to wait until night. So they're waiting and they're waiting, and they get a little bored. So they send Jim into town to buy some wine. And as after Jim leaves, they think to themselves, you know, we could have a bigger share if we kill Jim when he comes back. And so they decide that they've got knives. They will fall upon Jim when he gets back and kill him. Meanwhile, Jim's walking into town, and he has an idea of, oh, all of this money could be mine. So he goes to the alchemist, and he says, I've got a lot of rats eating my grain, eating my wheat. And the alchemist says, oh, I've got this stuff for you. Just a little bit of this poison is enough to kill a herd of horses. So he buys the poison. He goes and buys three bottles of wine, puts poison in two of them. I know you know where it's going. He goes back. He's killed. The other two friends eat and drink the poisoned wine, and they die. Greed. Greed is their shepherd. Envy and greed aren't the only shepherds. Do you remember the Lion King? I was surprised to find out how old it is. But in the Lion King, the country is governed by Mufasa, a kind, generous, wise king who's got a brother who wants to be king. The brother's name is Scar. And he keeps thinking, you know, if he waits long enough, he'll get to be king. But then Mufasa has a son, Simba. And Scar realizes, as Simba is growing up, that he's not going to be able to become king. So he comes up with a plan. He puts Simba in the middle where the wildebeest will be migrating. With all their thundering hooves across the savannah. And then as the wildebeest come up, he tells Mufasa about it. And Mufasa goes off to save a son, as any father would. And Scar manages to get Mufasa into a canyon and kills him. He comes back and tells Simba that his father's death is Simba's fault. And so Simba goes off. And he's having fun. Meanwhile, the kingdom is going to a mess. 
because Scar only cares about himself and his friends and wealth and power and control. A friend of Simba's goes to fetch Simba to come back, but Simba doesn't want to come back because Simba feels guilty and afraid. Fear and guilt are Simba's shepherds. What we want tells us what, who our shepherd is, tells us a lot about ourselves. You know, I've been thinking for about six months that I want one of these nice, shiny iPad Pros. They're big. They're beautiful. You can draw on them. They're just wonderful. Now, if I were with a spiritual director or a spiritual friend, it's a person who tries to help you see where God is working in your life. He or she might say to me, what do you want? And I would say, I want this iPad. Well, what would that do? Well, it's this nice, shiny toy. And the question would then be, and so? I would think, well, you know, it's a distraction. It's something I can do while I'm not doing other things or thinking other things. And she'd say, well, what is it? What is it a distraction from? And I think after a while, what would come up in me is the sorrow and grief that has been a part of me since I've come back to Cleveland. I came back and I found friends that I loved and admired and thought the world of who were gone. I was uh, waiting to see Derek on the second floor, and I went up and I was looking at the Calabarians up there and (sighs) looking at people that I'd lost. I don't want to feel this grief and sorrow. You know, I'd rather play with a fancy toy. I'm afraid. The psalmist says, I shall not want, but the psalmist also says, I shall not fear. Our fears and our wants are tied up together. You'll see over and over again in the scriptures, in the Hebrew scriptures, in our Christian scriptures, God or an angel telling people, fear not. Don't be afraid. So why is it so important that we're not afraid? Fear is a good thing. It keeps us out of danger. But fear also keeps us tangled up in ourselves. I was listening to NPR Thursday morning, and there was a story about sociologists who have long thought that fear and anxiety impact one's ability to think. And they thought that if they could just test it with scarcity, but they couldn't figure out how to make some people wealthy for one period of time, and then poor. But someone discovered that there is a group of people who move from wealth to poverty. 
It's sugarcane farmers in India. They are paid once a year after the harvest. So the sociologists went and tested their thinking. After the harvest, when they are paid and they have a lot of money, they are able to make long-range good decisions. When the sociologists came back just before the harvest, as money is getting really tight, there's a fear that it may not last until they get paid again, they found that they weren't able to make those decisions. Our fear, our fear of scarcity impacts our ability to think. It keeps us from making good decisions. And you might think to yourself, well, you know, we don't live in a land of scarcity. But our culture has started this idea of scarcity, that there's not enough to go around. The pie is only so big, and if you get part of it, then that diminishes what I get. If you are successful, then it may diminish my success, particularly if we are competing for the same promotion. If you think about what society tells us, it tells us that the world is a world of scarcity, which leads us to be afraid, which means we are not able to follow Jesus in the way Jesus would like. We're we're not giving. We're not generous. We're not loving. We're afraid. We keep things close to our hearts. So how is it that we can get out of this? I mean, it's easy for the psalmist to say, I won't want, I won't fear, but come on. We want things, we're afraid of things. The psalmist also says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Scholars think that the word follow is really better translated pursue. I have this image of running along, trying to keep up with goodness and mercy pursuing me. You know, all I have to do is turn around and look at all the goodness and mercy in my life. Turn around and look at all the goodness and mercy I have been given. And the psalmist ends, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My heart lives in God's house. That's how I can come to be satisfied with what I have been given. That's how I can encounter situations where I am afraid and walk through that fear with courage. 
to be and do what God calls me to be and do. Amen.